The sermon this morning is a third in the series of Second Chronicles from Reverend Pete Hopefleur of the Spring Creek Canadian Reformed Church in Tintern, Ontario at that time. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, there can be time <clears throat> there can be times in a Christian's life when we let sin take a hold of us, times when we don't give it up in repentance, but continue to let it be in our life, continue to indulge in it. Part of us knows that it's wrong, that it's bad, but another part of us that likes it. And some days, that other part has the upper hand in our lives, doesn't it? We can talk about addictions to drugs, alcohol, or pornography, but the truth is that every human heart is addicted to sin. It doesn't take that much for even a believer to give in the urges of a sinful heart. Days can pass, weeks go by, even months or years where some sin in our lives thrives in our hearts and, li and lives and eats away at us silently before the surface. While we deny ourselves and anyone who asks that there's anything wrong with, with us, meanwhile the sin lives like a cancer inside. Well, Judah as a nation was living in a time like that. King Ahaz had led the way into idol worship and the people followed after him. For 16 years, the people as a whole lived in darkness of their own making, indulging their own lusts and sinful desires, and it had taken them far, far away from the Lord. In fact, God's wrath had come upon them already in the judgment of his discipline. Judah saw the Lord destroy the ten northern tribes, wiped away and destroyed by the Lord for the very same sins they were committing, yet it had not stopped the people of Judah. They decided any wrongdoing, Ahaz went on as before, God had sent armies to attack, kill and exile some of the people of Judah and Jerusalem in order, in order to shake them up, and yet Ahaz and the people had not given up their sin of idolatry. God's people were so lost in the darkness of their sin, they didn't even know that they were lost anymore. And the darkness, the hopelessness, the despair that comes with living in rebellion against God is just a way of life. Until the Lord raised up a new king, Hezekiah. This king had been trained by God's, in God's law by his mother. And with the light of that law, Hezekiah could see through the darkness of Israel's sin. This king could lead the people out of despair into the true hope of newfound peace in the Lord. So I bring you the word of the Lord. Through the king, the Lord recognizes his people, reconciles his people to himself. The wonder of forgiveness and the joy of fellowship. Right, right from the word go in our text, we see the king taking the leadership and forging the way through this darkness. He had already, as we saw that last time, sparked the Reformation by assembling the Levites and priests and charging them to cleanse out the temple of Ahaz's idolatry. 
And as soon as the temple was made holy and the altar of the burnt offering was purified, we read in our text, verse 20, that Hezekiah rose early and gathered the officials of the city and went up to the house of the Lord. Hezekiah rose early in the morning, brothers and sisters. There was no time to waste for this king. That's how it is. When you've made up your mind to turn yourself and your family and your people back to the Lord in true repentance, you don't sleep in. You don't dilly-daddle. But you jump at the first chance you get. That's what repentance looks like. It doesn't put things off. It chases, it down, it chases down the opportunity to make things right. King Hezekiah gathers the officials of Jerusalem, men who represent the population of the city and likely all of Judah. And as they make their way to the temple early in the morning, a crowd of people starts to follow and gather along. We know that in verses 31 to 36 where the whole assembly is invited to bring forward their voluntary offerings of thanks. Hundreds of bulls, rams, and sheep were then offered, so it must have been quite a sizable gathering. In other words, what Hezekiah does here is not just for himself, but for the nation, and the people readily follow his good example. They go after him in the morning. That's one of the takeaways for us from this passage especially for office bearers. We talked a little bit about that last time, but also fathers and mothers, teachers and employers, and anyone in any leadership position in the community. We need to lead by example. People follow their leaders, and if their leader is wicked like Ahaz, the people go astray behind him. But when the leaders are sincere and godly, when leaders are humble and willing to serve and to sacrifice for the good of the people they are leading, then their people on the whole will follow their lead. What we say and teach is important, but even more important is what we do. Our actions give weight to our words. So the king calls together the church at the temple and he brings along some animals for sacrifice, seven bulls, seven lambs, seven rams, and seven goats. Don't miss that seven. In Bible times, the seven represented fullness, completeness. Hezekiah brings the four main animals used in the sacrifices and brings seven of each kind because he wants there to be no doubt. He and the officials intend to admit to God the fullness of their sin for the full number of all the people. Verse 24 tells us this explicitly. For the king commanded that the burnt offering and the sin offering should be made for all Israel. Do you see that? Not just Judah, but even for the few remnants of the northern Israelites that the, that the Assyrians left behind. All Israel. The king had an eye for all his people, even those who were far off and who separated themselves from God's anointed king in Jerusalem, but, it was still but who still belonged among God's covenant people. We're sacrificing for everybody. That's another mark of a godly leader, isn't it? Of having compassion, of having grace towards those under your care, even those who may not have behaved well or rebellious. 
a desire to be united with those who truly belong to God. It would have been natural for the king of Judah to ignore anyone from the ten tribes in the north to say, they got what they deserved, serves them right. But King Hezekiah knows that, that he and Judah are just as guilty and just as rebellious, and that if it, if it were not for the Lord's grace towards them, they would have also been wiped out as a nation. We need that attitude as well as Christian employers, fathers, mothers, teachers, preachers, deacons, elders, towards those under our care, always aware of what God has done for me. God has not treated me as I deserve, because if we'd done that, I'd be a goner. God has given me mercy despite my sins. I'm still here serving the Lord, and so I will extend mercy to those under my charge and look for ways to unite together in true worship of the Lord. We learn from verse 24 that Hezekiah commanded two offerings, the burnt offering and the sin offering. The bulls, rams, and lambs were for the burnt offering, while the seven goats were for the sin offering. For each sacrifice, the blood had to be drained from the animals and sprinkled or thrown against the base of the altar. The chronicler is careful to mention this ritual for each animal in turn each animal slaughtered and its blood thrown against the altar. Why? Why repeat this detail four times over? Well, beloved, it was because that detail was the main event. That detail represented the most precious to the people, the forgiveness of their sins. We see this most clearly in verse 23, where the sin offering is described both types of offering had the blood ritual, but the sin offering added an element which really shows what's happening in the splashing of the blood. Then the goats of the sin offering were brought to the king and the assembly, and they laid their hands on the goats, and the priests slaughtered the goats and made a sin offering with their blood on the altar and made atonement for all Israel." King Hezekiah and the officials put their hands on the heads of the seven goats. Do you know why? To transfer their sin and the sin of all Israel to the goats, who were then killed instead of them. It was a signal that all their guilt and all their dirtiness and all their wrongdoing was removed from them onto the animal and it was put to death in their place. Isn't that amazing, brothers and sisters? Every man, woman, and child who came to the temple understood that they were sinners who had earned only one thing from God, to be put to death right then and there. Every animal sacrifice drummed home the message, I am allowed to live because someone else has taken my punishment. That should be my blood shed and sprinkled. That should be my life taken from me. The temple service made it crystal clear that the Lord is holy and sinless and cannot receive sinners in peace. That sin has to be removed. And in mercy, God allows a substitute to take that sin away. Seven goats die in place of the nation to atone for the people, to let them live 
as forgiven children of God. Brothers and sisters, let's you and me recapture the wonder of our own forgiveness. These seven goats without blemish and all the other animals that were sacrificed foreshadowed the greater sacrifice that was coming, Jesus Christ. Those animals and their blood was a picture, a graphic, powerful image of the gospel. Imagine the blood dripping and flowing. Imagine the smell of both the raw flesh of the beasts and then the roasting of the bodies on the altar. It would have been an unforgettable scene. Like we see, like we have the gospel presented to us in seeing, smelling, and even tasting the wine and eating the bread of the Lord's Supper, the Israelites had the gospel presented to their senses full on to impress upon them that their sins were taken away, covered over, and forgiven in the lifeblood of a substitute. That animal substitute was consumed by the fire of God's punishing wrath on the altar in the temple, but later God sent the perfect human substitute, the great high priest Jesus, who would lay himself down not on the bronze altar, but on the cross outside Jerusalem, to be consumed by the full heat of God's full wrath, absorbing the full punishment for your sin and for my sin once for all time. Think of that, beloved. Smell it. See it. And let your senses be full of the wonder of God's grace through Jesus Christ that you and I stand forgiven in full, paid in full. Because when we understand that, then we'll be ready for the next element in service to truly enjoy the fellowship that Christ brings to us. That's our second point, the joy of fellowship. Our text and our temple service didn't stop at the description of atonement in the sin offering, for there is more to the gospel than forgiveness. Again, it's central. But after the sin offering is burnt up on the altar, then the whole burnt offering follows, something the chronicler describes in verse 25 to 30. After the goats, then followed the seven bulls, seven rams, and seven lambs. These two burnt offerings can be a little confusing because both involve the sprinkling of blood and both are burnt on the same altar. But there are a few key differences. The sin offering was offered only when there were specific occasions of sin to be repented from, in this case, the years of apostasy whereas the burnt offering was a, ver was a very regular service offered twice every day, morning and evening, for the whole community, as mentioned in First Chronicles. Burnt offerings could be brought voluntarily by individuals in addition to these daily burnt offerings, but the burnt offerings was the main sacrifice, a key offering. Secondly, for the sin offering, only the fat of the animal the best part was to be burnt on the altar and the rest of the carcass was to be taken outside the camp to be burned and disposed of. For the burnt offering, the entire animal was burned up on the altar. And thirdly, for the sin offering, there was no music playing. But for the burnt offering, there was always music playing. 
In fact, that's something that Chronicler stresses. And it's not just random music done at the whim of the worshiper or even the priests, but it was, speci was specially commanded song and music. Verse 25. And he, that is Hezekiah, stationed the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals, harps, and lyres, according to the commandment of David and of Gad, the king's seer, and of Nathan the prophet. For the commandment was from the Lord through his prophets. This was no human invention, but all worship was according to God's direction. Exactly where the Levites were to stand and exactly what they were playing is carefully orchestrated by the Lord. Through the commandment of his prophets from the time of David and now implemented by his servant King Hezekiah. <clears throat> Even the content of what they were singing was not left up to the singers. But, says verse 30, the king commanded the Levites to sing praises to the Lord with the words of David and of Asaph the seer. In other words, the temple musicians played and sang the psalms during the burnt offering, that of our Bible, and put the music in our book of praise. We read, when we, we read about this when we start in, in 1 Chronicles 16. David appoints the Levites and gives them a psalm to sing, one of which now fits in parts of different psalms, Psalm 96, 105, and 106. The main purpose of that song, as mentioned in verse 4, to invoke or proclaim, to thank and to praise the Lord, the God of Israel. In other words, the purpose of that song was to rejoice in the Lord, rejoice in his salvation, Rejoice in his forgiveness. Rejoice in his grace. And in all his glorious deeds of love toward his people. David and Asaph wrote many laments. Those are the sad, sad songs in the book of Psalms. But they didn't fit during the burnt offering. Our troubles and sorrows can be poured out to our God on other times. But when the sacrifice for our sins is made... When forgiveness is secured and peace with the Almighty is returned and everlasting life is reassured, then the only thing to do, brothers and sisters, is to rejoice. Verse 30 underlines it. And they sang praises with gladness, and they bowed down and worshipped. The king was bowing down. Verse 29. Leading by example along with all the officials and all the people. And that's, not, and that's not just bowing at the hip like after a performance, but a full prostration on the ground or the floor. Do you see his humility? If the king bows, all will follow, and they do, to honor the Lord. Then, brothers and sisters, is the heart and soul of true Christian leadership, whether that's in the, same, whether that's in the home the workplace, the community, or the church. Leadership can never be self-serving. We are not given authority to please others, but to please the Lord. We are not given positions over others, but to make them serve. We are not given positions over others to make them serve us, but to help them serve the Lord. And every leader needs to be ready to lead the way by bowing his nose to the ground before God. 
You know we don't do that much anymore in church, bowing. It, it's interesting how there's lots of talk about music in church and people wanting bands to play and even pointing to passages like our text to say that bands and choirs and multiple instruments are quite biblical. But have you ever heard of anyone suggesting that we bring back bowing or laying on the floor in humility? That's kind of cherry-picking the Bible, though, isn't it? What about the role of the Levites? And who are the Levites today? Music ministers? What about where the magicians are stationed? Where should magicians be stationed today, then? And is the guitar and the drum really the same as the lyre and the harp commissioned by David? And what connection does music today have with the burnt offering? None of these things gets discussed today, and no one seems interested in prostrating themselves before God in total humility and submission like King Ahaz did, or King Jesus did. For didn't Jesus follow in Hezekiah's footsteps and lead his people to true reformation by going low, by going low for them? Hezekiah laid his hands on the goats. Jesus became the goat. Hezekiah identified himself with the sins of the nation and of his fathers. Jesus came and became sin. Hezekiah led the people to the altar to become reconciled against their God. But Jesus leads his people to his own cross so they might once for all time be reconciled to their God and discover in the process peace and joy. For something special happened during the burnt offering. Something signaled by the trump, sometimes signaled by the trumpets. Notice how the trumpets are mentioned separately from God's instruments. And look who's bowing, who's blowing them. In verse 26, we learn that the Levites stood with the instruments of David, the harps and the lyres, and the priests with the trumpets. And what trumpets will these be? Well, these are the trumpets commanded by the Lord through Moses in Numbers 10. The only instruments and the only musical notes sounded in the tabernacle from Moses' day till David's time. The song came in David's day. Before that, it was only the trumpets. Those trumpets only had the range of a few notes. They were not designed to accompany singing, but their purpose was to give a signal. The Lord put it in this way in Numbers 10, verse 10. They shall be a reminder of you, Israel, before your God. I am the Lord your God. That sounds a little strange. Did God need a reminder of the people? Wasn't the sacrifice itself a message to God of the people's repentance and desire for forgiveness? Well, the trumpet wasn't for God's sake, as if he could never forget his people. In fact, the whole temple service wasn't for God's sake, but for ours, to teach us and reassure us that the Lord does hear our prayers and receives our offerings. The trumpets weren't for God's benefit, but for the people's encouragement. Remember, they couldn't see inside the holy place. They would have to depend on what they could hear at the time of the burnt offering. So the trumpet blast was for the congregation 
was so that the congregation might be reassured and comforted that the Lord had seen their sacrifice, had given forgiveness, and has come near to bless them. The trumpets were saying to the people, the Lord doesn't, does remember you, and the Lord has forgiven you, and the Lord has now come to you to fellowship with you. And that's why the king and all the assembly is bowing down with their noses to the ground. For they understand as the burnt offering was going up in smoke that God had come to meet them. Like Moses at the burning bush and Peter at the feet of Jesus, when you come face to face with the Almighty, the only thing to do is bow in holy worship and rejoice in his wonderful company. God is here. How amazing is that? The king and the officials express their joy in songs of gladness, and then King Hezekiah encourages the whole congregation to follow suit, and they do, verse 31. And the assembly brought sacrifices and thank offerings, and all who were of a willing heart brought burnt offerings. What's going on here is not the, command, the commanded offerings, but these are what is called free will offerings. The people were not obligated, but when their hearts moved them to gratitude, then they could express that in the thank offerings of thankfulness. And, of, and on this occasion, they did it in abundance. They followed King Hezekiah's example. Atonement was made. Forgiveness of their rebellion had been experienced. And the people were happy to know that God's wrath was no longer upon them. Brothers and sisters, have you tasted that sweet joy of repentance and forgiveness? Just the day before, the people of, Israel, the people of Judah were still in their darkness, still lost in their sin, far from God, under his anger. Brothers and sisters, if you are holding on to sin in your life, if there is a selfish pride locking down your heart, if there is an envy or bitterness, if there is any anger or a grudge against your neighbor, if there is lust or desire or greed choking off your relationship with your God, truly loving your neighbor as yourself, then on this day, beloved, let that sin go. Get rid of it. Repent from it. Go to your bedroom. Put your nose to the carpet, humbly confess your sin to the Lord, and throw yourself upon the mercy of your God. You will find mercy. You will find it in spades. For King Jesus' sake, you'll find mercy in great abundance, and for Jesus' sake, you will taste the amazing joy of forgiveness and renewal with your God. Amen.